glad to see you all again this morning. Do you have your Bibles? Good. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 is where you need to go. Last week we took a little break from 2 Corinthians to go to Luke's Gospel to celebrate uh, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ on that very special Sunday. We want to make clear that that is not the only Sunday of the year we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We celebrate his resurrection every Sunday, right? And what's more is we celebrate it not just every Sunday, we should celebrate his resurrection every day. Right, Not just on Sundays, not just once a week, every day of every week. Aren't you thankful today, I was just thinking of this as I was walking up here, aren't you thankful today we have more in this room to celebrate than just uh, quarter one financial giving stuff, right? That we applauded for that and we celebrated that. Aren't you thankful that that's like the low light of the day in this room? That that's small potatoes compared to everything else we have to celebrate on this day, right? I hope it is for you. I hope, I hope that those numbers that I gave you a while ago don't excite you more than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ or a study of God's word, no matter what the topic is, right? This week, we will get back into our study of 2 Corinthians. We are almost done. Uh, in fact, if you just turn the page in my Bible from chapter 11, you see the end of 2 Corinthians. We are almost done, but we've got a long way to go. Last time we were in 2 Corinthians, we talked about how these false teachers are in the church at Corinth, even though the majority of the church has repented of their sins, has reconciled to Paul, and things are good once again uh, between them. There's still some holdouts, still an unrepentant minority of the church, and Paul is dealing with those who are trying to lead even more people astray. We talked about in the midst of that, Satan's schemes in leading people astray, how he is coming after us as a church, and he is coming after us as individuals, and he operates the same way today as he did in Corinth 2,000 years ago, and he operated the same way in Corinth as he did thousands of years before that in the Garden of Eden. This is what Satan does when he comes to us, when he attacks us. He tries to convince us that we should doubt the authority of God's word and the truthfulness of God's word. He will say to us, does the, does the Bible really say this? Did God really say that? Does he really expect this of you? And then once he uh, plants some doubt into our lives, he outright denies the authority of God's word and the truth of God's word. He will say, the Bible does not say that. God is not like that. God does not mean things like that. So he escalates from doubt to denial. And then what he does is he inserts a different idea, a different opinion, a different truth, if you will, which isn't really a truth at all. It's in fact a lie, right? Satan doesn't give alternative truths. There aren't alternative truths. There are only there is only truth and falsehood. There is only truth and lies. And Satan is a liar. And he's the father of lies. And he gives us lies all the time. And we've got to be careful that he doesn't infiltrate our lives that way. We've got to be careful that he doesn't infiltrate this church in that way by bringing doubt and then denial and then a different truth. I told you that we need folks in our lives who are like Paul was for the church at Corinth, jealous and caring and active, like a father is for his young daughter who's been betrothed to a man for marriage. He has to watch over her and protect her purity from the day he, she is betrothed to him until the day that marriage is consummated. It is the father's it is the father's responsibility to ensure her purity. And Paul says he feels that way about the church, that they have been betrothed to Christ. And in the meantime, he has to watch over them and he wants to work and fight for their purity. He doesn't want these people to come in and cause all kinds of trouble. I told you that we need people in our lives who care about us in that way. We need Sunday school teachers. We need deacons. We need pastors. We need dads. Maybe most importantly, we need dads who will step in for their children and protect them and watch over them and guard them, not just physically, but doctrinally, that they will guard them in the truth. 
I told you that we need those people in our lives, and I told you that we need to be those people for others. We need to be the folks who are watching out for the next generation, for the next group of believers coming along. We need to guard them and protect them as a father would his daughter. We need to be those people in the lives of the folks we love the most. And then finally, we talked about how the answer to all of this, all of this guarding of the church, all of this purity of doctrine, all of this fighting against the false apostles who would come in and lie to us, all of the fighting against Satan who would come in to deceive us, is not about a program, right? It's not about a personality. It's not about some system. It's about Jesus and the real gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Paul said a couple of weeks ago that these guys are not offering you the real Jesus, the true Jesus. They're offering you a different Jesus, and they're offering you a different gospel, and they're offering you a different spirit, which is no Jesus, which is no gospel, which is no spirit at all. Does this make sense to you? If it's not the true Christ, if it's not the true gospel that scripture speaks of, it is no gospel at all. What's the word gospel mean? Good news, right? If it's not real gospel, if it's not real good news, what is it? Bad news. Bad news. You got it. You're with me. This week, we're going to continue to watch Paul address these false apostles in the church at Corinth. He's going to continue to go after them. And and really, what's going to happen at the end of the text today is he's going to take the gloves off. He has been fighting them with gloves on. He has been pulling some punches. He has been speaking in metaphor and with irony. And he'll stop that today. At the end of the text today, Paul is going to say some very harsh things. And it would be easy for us to look at the words that he says to these false teachers and say, oh, Paul is just a a grumpy old man. He's just had enough and he's fed up and so he gets angry and he lashes out in his anger. But I want you to see today that even though he is angry and even though he is saying harsh things, I want you to see that it is one more attempt at the hearts, even of these false apostles, even of these false teachers. He wants them to be saved. He wants them, even them, to see the error of their ways and to be called it to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. So he's not just lashing out at them. He's not just condemning them for condemnation's sake. He's condemning them for the sake of their salvation, for the sake of their hearts, and he's going after their souls in this text today. So look at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 7 to 15 today. This is what God's word says. It's 2 Corinthians eleven seven. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And will continue to do so. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. But what I am doing, I will continue to do. So that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men, listen to this, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Let's pray together. God, thank you for men like Paul. Thank you for pastors and leaders and teachers and fathers who watch out for our well-being, not just physically, doctrinally and spiritually. God, thank you ultimately that you do that. You watch out for us, our well-being, 
you protect us, you guard us, you fight for us. Thank you for that. I pray today that you will teach us about the importance of love, what real love looks like. I pray that you'll teach us today the importance of preaching Christ, Christ alone, preaching the gospel, the real gospel. I pray that you show us something of the power of the gospel to change our lives. I thank you for the word we've already heard this morning that Christ came to save sinners. It's a trustworthy statement. Christ came into the world to save sinners. And we, I, am the worst. God, teach us today something of the power of the gospel to change people's lives. And help us. Help us discern true prophets from false prophets. Help us discern the true gospel from false gospels. Help us know the truth and help us preach the truth for your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we study 2 Corinthians, especially when Paul uh, gets into this argument and this defense of his apostleship because of the false apostles, it's hard for us to understand exactly who those guys were. It's hard to draw a real accurate sketch of these false apostles about where they came from, about what they believed, about what they were preaching and teaching. It's not as if they fit into some nice, neat category. And it's not as if Paul ever says, this is what these guys are saying, and this is the truth that we need to counter it with. In fact, we have to do a lot of gleaning in order to understand anything about these false apostles. One of the things we can see clearly about them as they attack Paul, as they try to discredit him, one of the things we see clearly in this text is they say that the fact that he didn't receive any payment from the church at Corinth when he went to preach there, they will say that that fact discredits him as an apostle, that that fact discredits him as a preacher of the gospel, that that fact calls into question all of the ministry that he has done in Corinth. And so it's that issue that Paul is going to key on for the first several verses of our text today, that they say his, his refusal to receive support from the church at Corinth is a denial of his apostleship, all right? You need to know that on the other hand, they are also saying that their exorbitant fees, the fees that they are charging to preach, that they are charging to minister, they would say that's evidence of their authority. They would say that's evidence of their legitimacy, all right? And so that's the context into which Paul is saying all of these things, right? They're calling into question his apostleship because he preached for free, and they're affirming their apostleship because they charge a lot for them to, for them to preach, all right? You get it? Okay. It's pretty clear, right? Works the same way today sometimes when we talk about public speaking. If you're a good public speaker and you get invited someplace, do you get a lot of money or a little money? You get a lot of money, right? And the better you are, the more money you get, right? The more you charge. I wrote in my notes, the better you are, the more you charge. The more you charge, the better you are. Seems to be the way it works in public speaking, right? And it was the way it worked back then. And that's the, that's the situation that Paul is preaching into. He talked about this at great length in 1 Corinthians. And we need to go back and look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about why when he came to Corinth, he didn't accept any support from them. He defends this whole idea of coming to Corinth and preaching for free in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Some of your wheels are already turning a little bit. You're thinking that, okay, the application then of this whole principle is that when we get to the application part, Chris is going to say, so, so don't pay me anymore, right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to preach for free. That's the direct application of this text in our lives today. Well, I, don't, I hate to burst your bubble. 
but I'm going to burst your bubble. What Paul is going to do in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is he is at the same time going to argue that those who preach the gospel should be supported by those they preach the gospel to. And at the same time as he argues that, he's going to say, but I'm going to refuse that right voluntarily for your sakes. He's going to say the norm, hear me on this, the norm is to pay the preacher. And Paul is going to say, I'm voluntarily stepping out of the norm for your sakes. Look what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 3. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a right to, re to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share that right over you, do we not more? Listen, nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Remember that. Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will, not, we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the, eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Verse 15 says, But I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man take my boast, make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. All oh, that, oh, that that would take root in our hearts today, in, in, in my heart, in your heart. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. For I do this voluntarily. If I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I preach the gospel, I may, make, I may offer the gospel without charge so as to make, not to make full use of my right in the gospel. All right? Did you catch what he did there? He argued that normally those who preach the gospel earn their living from the gospel. That normally those who receive spiritual things repay in material things. But, he says, I'm going to set aside that right of mine, in your case, Corinth, I'm going to set aside that right of mine so as not to be a hindrance to the gospel, so as not to be an obstacle to the gospel. Now, we needed to go back and do that background because it's precisely that argument that the false apostles are accusing him with. They're saying that he does this because he doesn't love them. They're saying he does this because he's not a legitimate apostle when the reality is he does this because he loves them, right? He does this precisely because he's a legitimate apostle. Notice the way his argument goes back in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. Chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians, he says, Did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without a charge? Was that sinful? Surely not. Surely not. And then in verse 8, look what he says. He says, I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. 
he goes on and talks about how Macedonians actually provided for his needs. You see, Paul is not refusing his support from all the churches. He's just saying, particularly with Corinth, he didn't want anything to get in the way of his preaching the gospel there, and so he didn't receive anything from them. But nonetheless, he did receive benefit from other churches, namely in Macedonia, which is outrageous because when we go back and study about the churches in Macedonia in 2 Corinthians, we learn that they were especially poor, right? And it is these especially poor believers that are providing for Paul while he's in Corinth ministering to those more affluent believers. This is outrageous. And Paul says, and now, now you're criticizing me for that? I robbed, I robbed those poor churches. He's not saying he literally robbed them, but now that he's being accused about it, he's frustrated. You mean to tell me I robbed those poor churches in Macedonia while I was here ministering to you, and now you're going to accuse me of doing something wrong because I did that? It's outrageous. Paul is frustrated. It's like he can't even win, right? He came to them sacrificing for them, humbling himself for them, and now they're accusing him for the very thing he did to show them that he loves them. We'll talk about that in a minute, about how sometimes, sometimes folks just don't understand what love looks like. Sometimes the less mature folks in the church don't really understand what love looks like when it's being clearly displayed for them. In verse 8, he says, I robbed these churches by taking wages from them to serve you. Verse 9, he says, and when I was present with you and was in need, when a crisis came up, I was not a burden to anyone. Paul says, even when I was here and things got tough, I didn't go crying to you guys. He says, for when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you. And we'll continue to do so. Paul says, when I got into a tight spot, when I was there in Corinth, the brothers from Macedonia, probably particularly from Philippi, came to my rescue. And they provided for my needs so that I wouldn't become a burden to you. Paul says, that was my goal from the beginning, was not to be a burden to you. My goal from the beginning was not to be a burden to you, but only to preach the gospel to you in a way that there would be no hindrance and no obstacle for you believing in the gospel. So that you couldn't accuse me of trying to get rich for preaching to you. So that you would receive the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as a free gift because it's offered as a free gift, right? And Paul, at the end of this verse says, and I don't plan to change, I don't plan to change my ways at this point. He says, I did this with you. And we're talking about years of ministry now between Paul and the church at Corinth. For years, he has operated this way. And at the end of that verse, he says, I don't plan to change now. I will continue to do so. In verse 10, he says the same thing. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. In verse 12, he says the same thing. What I am doing, I will continue to do. Even though he's being criticized by these false apostles for preaching for free, he says, that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And the question is, why? Why? If these people are saying, Paul, we would love you more if you would just let us pay you. Most normal people would say, okay, pay me if that's what you want. You twist my arm, pay me, that's fine. Most normal people would do that, but Paul is adamant in his refusal of that kind of assistance for them. So the question is, why? Why would he be so adamant in that refusal? Well, there's a principle at stake here, right? He wants to offer a free gospel to the church of Corinth for free. He also doesn't want to cave to the pressure of these troublemakers. But I think most importantly, he loves these folks. He loves them dearly. He loves them with all of his heart. And he doesn't want anything, anything to get in the way of their reception of the gospel. Look what he says in verse 10. This may be the key to the whole thing. I mean, verse 11. This may be the key to the whole thing. He says, why? He says, this boasting of mine will not be stopped in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? Is that really what you think? 
Is that really what you think, Corinth, that I I don't take money from you because I don't love you? And then he says, God knows I do. And he does, right? Is there anything, when, when we read Paul's interaction with the church at Corinth, is there anything that would cause us to think he doesn't love those people? No. In fact, everything we read leads us to understand that he loves them greatly. The fact that he keeps writing back to them, the fact that he keeps going back to visit them after they give him nothing but trouble shows us that he loves them, right? The fact that he preaches the gospel over and over and over again in Corinth teaches us that he loves these people deeply. And yet for some reason, some of them don't understand it. And I think that's common. I think it's common for that kind of thing to happen. For Paul, who is maybe the most mature believer in history at this point, expressing his love to these baby Christians or maybe even lost people, and they say, that doesn't look like love to me. That looks like hatred to me. That looks like a lack of love to me. Your demonstration of love looks like a lack of love to me. I get that they could be there, right? Because who hasn't been there? How many of you were children at one point? You remember when your parents demonstrated their love for you with the belt? Did you say, wow, wow, it is clear you love me. My, my bottom is blistered, and it's clear from that that you love me. Is that the way you responded to that? No. What did you say? What in the world? Do you not even love me? If you loved me, you wouldn't hurt me like that. That's what you said, right? When did that change for you? When, when did you go... When did you go from saying, that doesn't look like love, to appreciating that? When you had children of your own, yeah, amen to that. When you grew up and when you matured, right? That's what it's about. And it seems like these less mature believers just don't understand the kind of love that Paul is trying to show them. And we need to recognize that that will happen in our homes. We need to recognize that will happen in our relationships. We need to recognize that will happen sometimes here at First Baptist Church. That we will try to express love to someone and we will sacrificially try to love them and they won't hear it as love at all. They'll hear it as hatred. And that's a tough thing. That's a tough place to be. And that's exactly where Paul is. And, and he gets, gets frustrated about it. He says, why? Why would I do this? Because I don't love you? No, God knows I do love you. And that's the whole motivation for it all. Paul loves them so much. He loves them so much. He will goes to great lengths, great self-sacrificing lengths so that there won't be anything that would stand in the way of them hearing the gospel from him and receiving the gospel from him and being saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's going to take away every possible obstacle he can remove so that they can believe because he loves them, right? And we'll say, by way of application in a little while, that if we love Harrisburg, if we love our families, if we love the world, we will remove every obstacle possible so that they can hear the gospel and believe and be saved. We will also say that there are some obstacles to the gospel that we cannot remove. But there are some we can, and we must. And Paul is doing it for them because he loves them. Look at verse 13. Look at verse 13. He says, For such men, listen to this, takes the gloves off as he deals with these guys now. For such men are false apostles. What did he call them before? If you remember before, he called them super apostles. That was a little bit of a subtle jab, maybe less than subtle, super apostles. What's he do now? He doesn't sugarcoat it at all. Takes the gloves off. He says, these men, 
These men who have come to you with these lies are false apostles. Look how he goes on and describes them. They are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. Do true apostles of Christ have to disguise themselves as apostles of Christ? Would, would Superman, maybe this is a bad analogy, would Superman ever put a Superman suit on over his Superman suit? Does he have to do that? No. He's Superman for crying out loud. He doesn't have to wear a disguise so that people will think he's Superman. That's a really bad analogy because he kind of does, right? <laughs> I should have thought through that a little more. You get the point though, right? The true apostles don't have to wear a costume that says they're true apostles, but false apostles have to put on a costume so that people might think they're true apostles. And he says, that's exactly what these guys are. They are false apostles pretending to be true apostles. They are deceitful workers. Why would he speak this way of these men? Why would he, why would he speak so harshly about these men? Well, I'll tell you a couple reasons. One, he loves the church at Corinth. He loves the church at Corinth, and he wants them to be aware these guys are trouble. They are not who they seem to be. They're liars. He loves the church at Corinth, and so he says that. The reason number two why he says these things is he wants the gospel to spread from Corinth further. We saw that a few weeks ago, right? He wants to stabilize things at Corinth so he can use Corinth as a home base to reach out even further. He loves the spread of the gospel, and so he's going to call these troublemakers out for the troublemakers that they are. But I think the third reason that we would, we would easily miss, the third reason why he would say such harsh things about these guys, is because he loves even them. He loves even these false apostles. This is, like, this is like when the prophets pronounce condemnation on God's people. They don't do that because they want to condemn God's people. They do that because they want God's people to repent. They want them to turn. And I believe Paul speaks so clearly about these guys, maybe for those guys' sake, so that they might say, whoa, that was harsh. Call me a false prophet, false apostle. Call me I'm wearing a costume. Said I'm a deceitful worker. Maybe there is something wrong here. He wants even them to turn and change and be saved. Not only does he call them false apostles, not only does he say they're wearing a costume and they're deceitful workers, he basically says they are servants of Satan in the next couple of verses. Look at what he says here. He says they disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder. No wonder. For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Yikes. You get that, don't you? What Paul does there is two things. Number one, he teaches us a little bit about how Satan works, how Satan attacks us. Does Satan attack us in all of his ugliness and grotesqueness and destruction and shame? Is that how Satan comes at us? Is that how he tempts us? Does he tempt us with something that looks rotten and spoiled and deathly? What's he tempt us with? Something that looks so good and so appealing and so enticing. The way Satan works is he doesn't come at you in darkness. He comes at you, dis at, at you disguised in light. And that's how he works in the church too. Most, most of the false apostles that are running around today, that are preaching in pulpits today, don't talk openly about worshiping Satan, right? They don't wear dark robes and scary makeup and weirdness. Most of them wear a nice suit and a big smile. Because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light and can do more damage that way than any other way. So not only does Paul teach us in this verse about how Satan works, he also delivers the ultimate criticism of these false apostles. He says, no wonder, 
No wonder they disguise themselves as true apostles of Christ. Even Satan disguises himself as an apostle, as an angel of light. Therefore, in verse 15, it's not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Yikes. Couldn't be more harsh. Couldn't be more harsh. Two scholars weighed in on this. This is what they said. Number one, Satan's attack on the church, his attacks on the church are seldom frontal. He doesn't come straight at us. They are often subversive, carried out by those within the church who misguidedly serve his ends. Another guy said it this way. He said, there's no more dangerous thing than darkness presenting itself as light. And as the deceiver, Satan's the master of that. A master at presenting himself as an angel of light when he is nothing but darkness. So Paul says, these false apostles, they are workers of Satan. Servants of Satan. Disguising themselves as servants of righteousness. We'll talk about that more in application. And then notice the end of verse 15. This is big. He says, they disguise themselves as servants of righteousness whose end will be according to their deeds. He says, all of this, as much as he wants them to repent and turn, as much as he wants them to be saved, he says, all of this will be set right someday. This, this will not go without an accounting. These guys who are causing so much trouble in the church at Corinth, I believe these guys who are causing so much trouble in the church in America today will be judged without mercy for leading people in satanic ways, in demonic ways, a different Christ, a different gospel, a different spirit. That will not be swept under the rug. But that lesson just a minute ago, that, that video just a minute ago said, it's not too late, right? The whole point of that was, it's not too late today. If you're one of those guys, it's not too late for you. You're still alive. Turn, repent now, today, repent and believe. Three applications today, and then we're done. Number one is this. I want you to see clearly in these verses that Paul loves the church at Corinth. And therefore, he did everything he could do to bring them the gospel without any obstacles. He loved them, and so he brought the gospel to them without obstacles. If we love the people in our families, if we love the people in our town, if we love the people in the nations who have never heard, we will do everything we can to bring the gospel to them without obstacles. Amen? That we will remove every obstacle we can. So that they might hear the gospel. And we do this. There's a difference between what I do here in the ministry of a local church and what some of our church family will begin to do in a foreign missionary context. We don't expect those people who have never heard the gospel before to automatically take up the, take up the fight and support our missionaries, do we? No, we support our missionaries. When they take the gospel to folks, it's our job to support them so that they can take the gospel to folks. It's our job as those who have received the gospel to support those who would take the gospel to those who have never heard it. Does that make sense to you? That's one way we remove an obstacle for folks to receive the gospel. Suppose our brother who's going to head off into another part of the world showed up and said, all right, guys, I'm here to preach the gospel, but first I'm going to need some of you to give me some money so that I can live. What would they say? Uh, no thanks. Number one, we don't want the gospel from you. Number two, if you think we're going to pay you for it, you're crazy. Hit the road. We are removing an obstacle to folks hearing the gospel when we support our missionaries. And I want to tell you, there are lots of obstacles, lots of obstacles that we can remove between people and the gospel. 
lots of them that we can take out of the way. Sometimes it's our personality, sometimes it's our attitude, sometimes it's our language, sometimes it's our lifestyle. There are lots of obstacles that we can remove so that people can believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But hear me clearly, there are some obstacles to believing in the gospel that we dare not remove. Do you know what I mean by that? Some of us want to remove the gospel of sin. I mean, the, the obstacle of sin from the gospel. That we just want to say, oh, you don't really have a sin problem. We want to remove the obstacle of the reality of judgment and God's righteousness from the gospel so that people can believe. We can't remove those obstacles, right? We can't remove the obstacles where people would look at it and say that's foolishness. Because if we remove those obstacles, certain obstacles, if we remove them, we, we lose the gospel. We lose the gospel altogether. So we need to remove, hear me clearly. We need to remove every obstacle to the gospel that we can because we love people and we want them to hear it and we want them to believe and we want them to be saved. That's what Paul wanted in the church at Corinth and that's why he didn't take any payment from them. Application number two is simple. Preach Christ. Our job, our mission, our calling, our commission is to preach Jesus and him crucified. Amen? And so that's what we do. Paul said, when I came to town, I didn't come to you with lofty speech and rhetoric and wisdom of men. I came to you with one message, Jesus Christ, him crucified, right? Came to you with one trustworthy statement. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and you are a sinner, and you need a savior. That's, that's it. It's simple. This job that we've been called to, this thing that we've been commissioned to, is simple. We preach Jesus Christ as the savior of men. And he's saved by grace, not by works, but by grace. He saves through his sacrifice, through his death for our sins, his substitutionary sacrifice for our sins, his burial and his resurrection, his victory over sins. It's simple. We just preach Jesus, right? We get caught up in so many other things. I get caught up in so many other things. So many strategies, so many programs, so many systems. It's simple. Ministry is simple. Preach Jesus and him crucified. Preach God's grace salvation it's your job too by the way not just mine preach jesus application number three false prophets are out there you believe that false apostles are out there question is can you spot them can you spot them they're out there do you know who they are are you waiting for me to give you a list of names i'll do that <laughs> but i don't know them all know a few but I don't know them all and I think it's partly your responsibility to be able to identify them one scholar was talking about the twin dangers in the church today is false apostles who are out there roaming around uh, wolves dressed in sheep's clothing part of the danger for the church is false apostles the other danger is gullible Christians gullible believers who don't know what to look for so I want you to know what to look for I want you to be in the word, studying, knowing the truth, so that when someone comes to your house or turns on your TV, comes on your TV, you know it's a lie because you know the truth. You know what the real gospel is. You know who the real Jesus is. You know what the real spirit looks like. And therefore, you know what the lies are that Satan is bringing to you. One preacher said this, he said, let us beware when some smiling, well-dressed preacher tells us we can have it all now without taking up the cross. A lot of guys say that. A lot of guys on TV saying that. Let us beware when some smiling, well-dressed preacher tells us we can have it all now without taking up the cross. Let us beware of another Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. Beware. 
And the only way you can be aware is be in the word, be in the truth. Be on the lookout. There's only one God, folks. There's only one Jesus who loves you, came for you, died for you, rose for you, and can change you by his grace. Believe in him. Follow him. Trust in him. Let's stand together and pray. God, thank you. Thank you for the church. Help us love the church. Help us love the world. Help us preach Christ and him crucified. Help us, help us to preach the resurrection of Christ. Help us to make a free offer of grace that is free, a gift that we do not deserve. Help us to love folks enough to remove every obstacle we can. Help us to be wise to know the obstacles we cannot remove and should not remove. Give us wisdom and discernment along those lines. And God, I pray that, that we would be so aware of and understanding of and loving of the truth of who Jesus is and what the gospel is, that we'll be able to spot the false apostles that are out there, that we won't be gullible church members. We'll be wise, understanding. And God, I pray that we will seize opportunities, just like Paul did, even when we encounter a false apostle, to preach the gospel to him, to desire his conversion. God, I pray that you give us love. Love like you have. Love that would go after the worst. You've done that. You came after me. Give me love like that for Harrisburg, for the nations would go after them with the gospel and that you would change lives by your grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.